Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. I hope you're doing good. I feel like I say that every week. We are going to be talking about how to use a strengths-based approach for anxiety or OCD. This was a topic recommendation from someone in my AT Parenting Community membership, and I love getting topic ideas because sometimes I don't know what to talk about, and I don't know what will help you. And so I thought this was a great topic. It's something I probably wouldn't have thought to talk about. There's a lot of discussion around strength-based approaches. You hear this a lot in the school system. And as a therapist, I've, you know, it's a good therapeutic approach, but I want to talk about it and how I use this loosely and how I approach my kids with anxiety and OCD, how I approach the kids that I work with in general, and how you can approach your child with anxiety or OCD in a way that builds up their strengths, focuses on their strengths. And it sounds like a really obvious thing, but I'm going to talk about different ways that really foster this. And some of them might be ways that you really hadn't thought about or that we don't do. So before we get started, I would like to say thank you to NoCD. This podcast episode is sponsored by them. They provide online OCD therapy in the US, UK, Australia, and Canada. You can schedule a free 15-minute consultation to even see if NoCD is right for you, which I think is pretty cool. And I always say, if you are worried that your child might have OCD, get an assessment. You can get an assessment from NoCD. It's virtual, so you just plug in your computer and um, get some peace of mind that you're going in the right direction. So to schedule your free 15-minute consultation, you can just go to treatmyocd.com and there will be a link in the show notes as well. Okay, let's talk about the strengths-based idea. So I have a couple of bullet points that I want to go through to talk about how to do this in different ways. So the first one is, I feel like it's really important when our kids are understanding that they have anxiety or OCD, that we highlight the positive strengths that come with that typically. That's one of the first things I used to do in my practice is talk about the superpowers of anxiety or OCD. Even if they were older, I would talk about, hey, you know, I know no one signs up for anxiety or OCD. I get that. As a family full of anxiety and OCD, (laughs) I know none of us have signed up for that. However, there are some really beautiful personality attributes that often come with anxiety and OCD and then go into them. I do have a YouTube video that I will link below. Hopefully I'll remember that talks about the superpowers of anxiety. I don't think I have one for OCD. I need to make one, but Here are some of the basic attributes that are very common with a lot of people with anxiety and OCD. It was one of the reasons why I wanted to only work with kids who have anxiety and OCD because they are some of the most beautiful people on this planet. Often they are kind and empathetic and caring and their sensitivity makes them more aware of people's feelings and emotions. They can read a room really fast because they pick up on all the signs and cues and what's happening. Now, yes, there is the other side of this coin, but we really want to foster their superpower abilities. In my house, we have a lot of sensory issues as well. So we kind of add that to the bag and we talk about, you know, their supersonic noses or their ability to 
to taste things other people can't taste, that these are superpowers that, you know, sometimes get annoying, but that it's a, it's an ability that a lot of people don't have. For my kids with OCD, we talk about their ability to think outside of the box, that a lot of people with OCD are able to think outside of the box, are creative, are inventive. And that's just part of the brain of someone with OCD is often they are having those attributes. So pick which ones your child has, or your teenager has, and highlight those and say, you know, I know it's a raw deal, but part of what makes you beautiful, like your sensitivity also has to do with having anxiety. It makes you clued in more. So it's not to negate the struggles of having anxiety or OCD, but it's also to recognize the superpowers. I would never change having my anxiety issues because it's made me a better human being in the sense that I can really get people and I can help people because I can feel on a deep level. So sometimes the things that we're battling also have some silver linings that we want to highlight. Okay. Moving on from there. I think it's really helpful to generalize their battle with anxiety and OCD and the skills they're building with anxiety and OCD to other areas in their life. And this helps them feel not like a victim, but it helps them feel like they are getting one leg up in the world compared to other kids. <laughs> I'll explain what I'm talking about. You might be like, what the heck is she talking about? So with my kids and, you know, I just, I sprinkle these conversations and topics throughout our lives. And so I don't know when is a good time to talk about these things, but I just do them when they naturally come up. And we talk about how, I think my son had said, I wouldn't wish OCD on my worst enemy. And I think that sparked a conversation around this where I said, you know, you are learning how to sit in discomfort. You are learning how to do incredibly brave things more than probably most kids out there. And so your ability, because you're doing ERP and because you are learning how to face your fears and you're learning how to handle things that make you uncomfortable, you are going to be so much more prepared for life. Because when things get uncomfortable, you're going to know how to handle it a lot better because you are like in OCD gym. And so that's not just for OCD. When you hit some hardships in life or you hit a problem, it's not going to derail you the way it might derail other people because you have been practicing on how to cope with these things forever. So you are not only in the OCD gym, you're in the life gym. And look at you. It's amazing. You're building up this resiliency and this this toughness. And even if sometimes you know, you're not able to face your fears. Just the fact that you try and you try again is building this personality that is going to be so resilient in all areas of your life. Isn't that motivating? Isn't that inspiring? Even when I say that out loud, I'm like, Ooh, that's really cool. Um, it almost partly makes me feel okay that my kids have anxiety and OCD. I'm like, they're going to be really strong, tough people. So I'm really into the show alone (laughs) that I've been talking about. In my AT Parenting community, in my live class, I like spent like five minutes talking about it alone. If you haven't seen it, it's really good. It's on Hulu. I think we watched it on Hulu. I don't know where it's actually coming from, but I watched it on Hulu. And it's it's kind of like Survivor, but it's more real. They put like 10 people in Vancouver Island. Sometimes it's Mongolia now. Or that's the, We're on season four. But, and they have to survive. And they have to survive alone, except for season three. <laughs> no, that was season four. I don't know. One season, they didn't have to survive alone. And whoever doesn't tap out is the winner. And we've been using that as kind of 
an analogy for anxiety and OCD. Like they're having to sit in discomfort. And the people that are doing the best in alone are not the people that have all those survival skills. That doesn't matter. And you actually have a lot of them saying that, you know, in survival school, they don't teach you how to mentally handle discomfort. They don't teach you how to mentally battle these things, you know, battle your own demons, being by yourself, hearing your own voice, you know, and going through discomfort, the discomfort of being cold or hungry. And it's a really good analogy of us learning how to sit with discomfort and doing brave things and how that really will impact you in life. So tangent, but it's actually a really interesting show. We actually watched it as a family. And I feel like even though my kids don't realize it, I feel like it's empowering for the daily things that they're doing with their own battles in life. Okay. So generalizing their battle is a good thing. So highlighting their strengths, generalizing their battles. And then then my next point is you want to foster self-determination. So part of a strength-based approach, at least in social work. So my background is in social work. I am a clinical social worker. And the strength-based approach is actually what they teach you in social work school, (laughs) in graduate school, social work school. It's very much about self-empowerment, self-determination. We are taught to empower our clients to help themselves. And I really feel like I have carried that on in the way that I approach anxiety and OCD with kids. And it's how a lot of OCD therapists and anxiety therapists approach the parents around fostering self-determination. So what does that mean? Fancy words, not so fancy, but one of those words, like throwaway words that you're like, but but what does that really even mean? Like strength-based, what does that mean? Accommodations, what does that mean? Self-determination. But it means pulling back, you're accommodating the anxiety or OCD. So pulling back those accommodations of helping your child avoid everything or doing things that the OCD wants you to do, you know, like washing the table down so that they can sit there or eating in another room because it bothers your child or, you know what, I'm just listing random stuff. But when you do those things, you are really kind of robbing your child of their ability to control their own struggles. And so when we as parents cocoon our child by by making this cozy little world where they're not triggered and we do everything the anxiety or OCD wants and we accommodate that, we're really not giving them the opportunity to experience and learn how to adapt to their struggles. I kind of equate it to like putting a wetsuit on our child and putting them in the water And they're never getting used to the cold water because they're cocooned. And so when they have to get out of that wetsuit and face real life and go swimming in the actual cold water, they're not going to know how to handle it because we've been putting a wetsuit on them the entire time. We want our kids to feel, and not all at once, but we want them to feel the discomfort and we want them to problem solve and do their skills that they're learning so that they can learn how to adapt to the cold water. And eventually the water doesn't feel bad because they've learned how to tolerate it versus the wetsuit. So pulling it back accommodations, and I've talked about the space program, which is Ellie Leibowitz's program. I've interviewed him. He is the author of Breaking Free from Childhood Anxiety and OCD. It's a parent-only approach, and that's a really good program to look at, to read the book, get a space therapist so that you learn how to pull back those accommodations, because that is really a big part of a strength-based approach is believing in your child that they can do this. And that because you believe in them, that you believe they can handle the discomfort, even if it's ugly and they have a panic attack or they freak out, they will get through it. And you believe that they can get through it is a really important aspect of 
self-empowerment and self-determination. So I am actually going to be creating, I have already created, but it will, it's not coming out yet. I have a space program online study guide course. And so I basically break down the space program. I go through all the aspects of the book in a video format. And then I've made my own worksheets and stuff to kind of flesh out some of the ideas. And really I made it for people who maybe are more visual or for, for those people that have partners who aren't going to read a book when you don't have access to a therapist to understand space or isn't trained in it. So you can check that out. It will be coming out next month, this online study course. And if you want to be on the wait list so that you get notified, you can text the word space program, just like it sounds, but one word space program to the number 44222. And I will add you to the list so that you get notified when that comes out. Okay. So besides pulling back accommodations, some other ways that you can foster self-determination is have this mentality of, you know, set it and forget it ERP. So I think all too often we own this battle and this journey way more than we should. We all want to protect our kids, but we're actually doing our kids harm inadvertently when we take this battle on for them and we don't foster skill building. Our only job when we have a child with anxiety and OCD is to build their skills in whatever way that looks like. So that might be giving them access to books and educating ourselves. So we have to educate ourselves. I want to be fully knowledgeable on all of this stuff if my child has this because it will be a family affair. So there's that. But then once I know all that information, that doesn't mean that I then grab the steering wheel and I, you know, drive the car for my child. I can't do that. And that robs them of their own empowerment, which is really the opposite of a strength-based approach, right? Because it's not your strength. (laughs) We're tapping into theirs. And if we rob them of the experience to build their muscles to feel that strength, then they're not going to be successful. So down the road, it is really good to set up challenges or ERP exposure with response prevention exercises that you're not babysitting. Now, I know a lot of parents aren't there yet. Your kids maybe aren't motivated. They're not willing. But long-term, the goal is a set it and forget it behavior plan. And I'll, I'll give you some examples of what I mean so that it's a little bit more concrete. Okay, so my son with ARFID, Avoidant Restrictive Food Intake Disorder, caused by OCD and PANS, just that's what's going on over here, did do a whole podcast episode on that. That is episode 217 for those of you that want to dive more into restrictive eating issues. But I set up ERP with him and then I made him a little folder where he can track it. And so having, you know, little worksheets, if you are taking my how to crush anxiety class or how to crush OCD class or how to crush social anxiety class, I'm big on worksheets. And so it's one of those things that you can print out, make a little folder for your child or your teenager. And then it's their responsibility, depending on where they are in their own journey, to do that. And so with him, I incentivize him by doing exposures, filling out his chart, and he gets points each day for doing that. He gets quite a lot actually right now. So there's a lot of incentive for him to do that himself. And then he'll say to me, mom, remind me to do an exposure. And we are at the point now where I don't want to remind him. In the beginning, he wouldn't do exposures at all. And so of course I would be like, This is the hour that you can do exposures. You can choose to do it or not do it, but this is the hour that you can do it. And so presenting it to him and a lot of times pretty deep into the journey, you need to actually tell your child, this is the opportunity to do your exposure or today you need to do your exposure. But over time, you want to pull back from that. And that's always the goal. It's like, where are you headed? And so you want to pull back from that and you want to say, 
And what I said to him yesterday, he said, oh, you have to remind me. And I said, he's 11. This is your deal. This is your OCD. I love you, but I've given you all the tools and I don't need to remind you to do your exposure. You have to get used to reminding yourself to do an exposure. If you're motivated and you care and you really want to get rid of OCD or at least make it really tiny, then what can you do to remind yourself? And so, you know, a lot of times he'll use a reminder on his iPad or he'll set the Echo or an Alexa alarm. So that's fostering independence. So we want to do that, or we want to at least be moving towards that. Your child may not be there yet, but that's where we're going. So set it and forget it kind of stuff is important. It doesn't mean you keep your eye off the ball. I am closely monitoring that. So when we are fostering independence, it doesn't mean that we are not quietly hovering. (laughs) I check his chart. I see if he's doing things. And after a few days of him not doing something, I'll bring it back to his attention and say, Hey, I noticed like his, his OCD was doing much, much better recently. And he was able to eat a whole bunch of stuff. And then I said to him when things were going really well, I said, you know, I noticed that you're eating really, really well because he's charting just how he's eating, but you're not eating anything difficult. Like you're not challenging yourself in the past. Everything he ate was difficult. So it was like everything almost felt like an exposure because he would try to not do compulsions as he ate every time he ate. But then he improved because that's what ERP does. And he was able to eat all the foods that he liked without really having, he doesn't do his compulsions and he's fine. But I said to him a couple of days ago, maybe a week ago, I said, you now you need to start eating things that up the ante, things that in the past would make it difficult. Because OCD, when it's when you're killing it, OCD is like, yeah, I'm just going to lay low for a while and you know let him kind of die down and not work on me, and then I'll pop back up. So I said, this is the time that you build your muscles. You find something that you can poke at. So I'm motivating him, but I'm not telling him what to do because he's at that stage where I don't need to tell him what to do. And then yesterday I made, I think, an amazing killer corn, <laughs> killer corn, cream corn. That was a killer. It was so good. And none of my kids ate it. I ate it. It was like dessert. It was like a corn dessert. It was so good. But I said to him, why didn't you eat the corn? It was really good. And he said, well, it felt a little bit chewy when I first ate it. And I said, why do you think that is? Right? So instead of just saying that's your OCD, or again, I'm getting him to think about it. He said, oh, it's because my OCD. And I said, yeah, you have to do exposures like we talked about. So I'll keep an eye on it, but we really want to down the road, really get them to, to own this themselves. That's, that is the goal. Okay. Moving on. Cause I have a lot more to say. The other thing is set realistic goals. So I think that we can really rob our kids of focusing on their strengths. When we set really unrealistic goals, we, we bite off more than they can chew. And so we want ideally to get our kids to pick their own goals out, develop their own hierarchy or their own challenges or make their own menus, whichever style you like. And we want to really encourage our kids to pick that themselves. So as much as you can pulling back, right? So it can be very structured, but still giving them choice if you're at that place where you can. And then even if if they pick something because they're feeling gung-ho, my kids do this sometimes. They'll pick something that's really hard. It might be the opposite at your house. But as you move along, sometimes kids do this and you know that's too hard. And I'll say, I know you could do that. And that's amazing that you want to do that. Let's start with this and then see how you feel and then move up further. And that's only if you really know your child. I don't want to like take away their power and say, you can't do that. But we want them to be successful and we want them to walk up that ladder. So if I know they're going from zero to 60 on, you know, picking something that's just crazy ridiculous, then 
we will bring it back down. But how you frame that is important. Not like, oh gosh, I don't know if you can do that. That's a lot. It's, I know you could do that. And that's amazing. Let's just start here and build up though. So picking realistic goals is really important. The next one is find success in every situation and give examples. So you got to check in with your own negativity and your own perceptions of how you're looking at your child's problems, because the way we talk to our kids and the way we frame problems is huge. And it becomes the narrative of how they talk to themselves. And so we have to really tune into how we're talking to our kids. You're going to mess up and that's okay. Cause you're human. I mess up. I say things all the time and I'm like, oh my gosh, that was very negative, <laughs> but it's not about being perfect. It's about striving for this intention and this goal and, you know, sometimes hitting it and sometimes not, but knowing where you're headed. So what does that look like? I'll give you some examples. And these may have nothing to do with what's going on in your world, but you'll get the gist of what I'm talking about. So both my kids needed to get blood work last week or the week before. Everything's getting smushed together. I think it was last week. And it was a nightmare because both my kids have different triggers around getting their blood. My daughter has metaphobia, the fear of throw up. She has a lot of issues around blood. My 11-year-old, he also has issues around blood. My middle child has Hashimoto's. And my youngest has celiac. We're like the autoimmune issue family here. And which there's a connection, but won't go on that tangent. So they have to get blood work at least every year, but often every six months. So it's something that they have been developing and adapting. Anyway, that was a very long introduction to this example. But my 11-year-old kicked butt, which is amazing. This is a boy who had to be like held down in the past. He went in there and he, you know, I sat on my lap and he did amazing. My nine-year-old was so much braver than she normally is. So just to give you a clue on how it was in the past with her, (laughs) with my 11-year-old, we did exposures. I actually have a YouTube video on this. Like one of his core fears is afraid of getting poked. And so that's like a core fear. He's afraid of bees. He's afraid of cacti. He's afraid of, he was afraid of being poked. So obviously needles are scary. So we actually did exposures for that with a paperclip. And you can look at that and hear more about that. I will link my YouTube video on that down below. But my nine-year-old, like her issues are more, she doesn't like when they tie off her arm because she has an issue with like feeling like veins can't be touched or they'll like stop the flow of her blood. So, and she also has a metaphobia and she gets nauseous. And so it's actually the thing that they wrap around her arm first that causes her the biggest problem. So like getting like her blood pressure taken, like the blood pressure cuff makes her super panicky and getting blood taken because of that. So a little background on why that's a problem for her. So in the past, she would like scream out and like she was, one time she actually like yelled to like the people who are in the waiting room, like, help me, help me, grab my arm, help me, get me out of here. It's, it was embarrassing, but She walked in there this time, was very calm, was nervous, but calm and sat on my lap and she was vocalizing how nervous she was, but she was doing fine. And then after she gets her blood taken, this is the second time she threw up, which is scary for her because she has a fear of throwing up anyway. And so she threw up a lot, a lot of dry heaving, not to go into detail, but she had, you know, it wasn't like one and done. She was really, then she went into a full-blown panic attack. Then she calmed herself down and then she left. And so when she left, the story in her head was that was a complete failure. So I was saying to my son, like, you did amazing. I'm so good. You should feel 
really proud of yourself. And I really try to use that language of you should feel really proud of yourself instead of I'm proud of you. I don't like to get too hung up on semantics and language, but when I can remember to do that, I do that because I don't want him to think that it has anything to do with me, that he has to perform in a certain way to earn my pride. You know, it's not about me. It's about you. So you should feel really proud of yourself. You've come a long way, right? So I'm highlighting this for him because I want him to see, this is how we're framing his strengths. Do you remember in the very beginning when you had a really hard time and, you know, you had to be held down? Do you remember how hard it was for, right? So reviewing their struggles and how far they've come is really helpful when he's successful, right? But my nine-year-old goes, I was a failure. I don't think she said those words, but she said, that was horrible. I did horrible. Um, Oh, my anxiety really was like, got the best of me. And so I reframed that for her. And I said, you were amazing. You walked in there. Do you remember what it used to be like? You'd have to be carried in and you didn't shout at anybody in the waiting room to come save you. You know, so we both laughed and highlighting the positives. And I said, you can't control your physical reaction, right? So you can't control the fact that you throw up. That's your body. But what you can control is how you handled it. And you sat there and you handled the anxiety. You went through the discomfort and you got through on the other end. And so that is how to frame a situation in the positive. Now, let's say you have a child who doesn't want to do exposures and doesn't want to go to therapy and doesn't want to do anything. And you're like, I can't, I don't even know what to find positive about that, Natasha. (laughs) You want to find that tiny, tiny little string and you want to start pulling at it because, and a lot of times parents will get into this mode of, I'm not going to praise that because that's not worth praising. Everybody should do that. Or that, you know, that's easy to do. You want to praise that because praise is empowering. And so let's say I have a child who doesn't want to do anything, but maybe they vocalize that that was hard for them. I hate going there. I don't want to do it, whatever. And it turns out to be a nightmare. You can say, I know that was really difficult for you. And I think, I really think you should be proud of yourself that you were able to communicate that to me, that you were able to express your feelings and you were able to tell me how hard that was for you. That's amazing because some people, and that, that's another style that I use a lot. I use because some people, I compare what they're doing to other people to let them know how hard that would be for other people. So I do that a lot. I notice with my kids and I did that a lot in my practice. I would say, but some people have a really hard time even expressing their feelings. They they couldn't even tell their parent what kind of difficulty they're having. And you could. You came to me and you said that. Yeah, you you weren't able to go, but you were able to communicate. And that's huge. Find that string. I don't know what it is for you, but find that little string periodically and you pull at it. You ever had a boss who comes by and says, you know what? I notice you are here on the dot. I feel like you're never late. And when you come in, I come and I walk by your desk and you're, you got your coffee and you are already starting to work. Like you're diligent. You don't dilly dally around. I appreciate that about you. Guess what? You're going to be watching the clock and making sure that you're there all the time early because you've been recognized and it feels good. When people highlight things they like about us, we want to do more of that because that's human nature. And so our kids are no different. So find that thread and start pulling. Okay. Moving on to the next thing. Actually, I only have one more thing. If you have some concerns with the therapist or the psychiatrist or even the teacher, I'm trying to think of different different environments that you might have an issue that you feel like, let's say with a therapist, you feel like therapy's not going fast enough or you're disappointed at the pace or you're wondering, you know, if your child should be doing more. You have things like that to talk about. 
meet alone with a therapist. Do not meet with your child there. Same thing with the psychiatrist or the teacher. It doesn't mean that you can't talk about your child in front of the therapist. And I do feel like you should be participating in those sessions. I think that's really important. But you want to watch your tone. I have worked with a lot of families where I will cringe because they start talking about, you know, the lack of progress or that they never do their homework. And it's so negative that I feel like they're beating up the child. And so it's not empowering, it's disempowering. So you want to watch how you talk about things. And if you have genuine concerns, it's not that you shouldn't be able to discuss them. Just schedule your own appointment with a therapist. I don't, I'm not even a fan of splitting up the session and having your child go in the other room while you talk about them. I never did that, or I tried to avoid that. I had some families that wanted that kind of framework, but it can feel really uncomfortable for a child to say, okay, we're going to spend 10 minutes talking about you. Go sit out in the waiting room. So in a perfect world, make your own appointment and sit alone with the therapist and just voice your concerns and be careful how you frame things. So I think starting with what they're doing right when you're talking directly to your child, or if you're talking about it in a therapy session with them, because it's a family discussion, that's different, right? So if you're in therapy or if you are doing a family meeting and you're talking to your child, you start off with the things that you are recognizing that are good, that are a strength of theirs. I don't care if they're literally doing nothing. You can find something that you can highlight because it makes people open up their ears. It makes them listen. It makes them less defensive. When you water the strengths, beautiful sprouts eventually happen. When you focus on the negativity and you focus on the the lack, then you're kind of drilling, you're like, you're weighing your child down and it's just not motivating for most kids. The fear factor, I've tried that in therapy, you know, like, and sometimes I do do that as well as build up their strengths. And I do that with my kids, but I find that it's just less effective than when I build them up. Right. So when I say like to my son, you're going to be G tubed. And like, you know, if you don't eat, you're going to be, it doesn't really have an impact on him. But when I say, oh my gosh, you're crushing it. Like you're building your skills. Like you've got this. I'm so, you should be so impressed with yourself. See, I almost said, I'm so impressed with you. It comes, it's, it's not natural for me to say you should be so impressed with yourself. And I've been trying to talk like that for years. (laughs) So it might be hard for you too. Or maybe it won't be. Maybe it's just hard for me. But we do want to highlight on the positive. So even if you start off with, like, let's say your child's refusing to go to school, find something that can be helpful. And you can say, you know, I appreciate that you communicate. You tell me how you feel. You, You are able to identify what your struggles are. I really appreciate that. And then go into like, how can I help you or support you? Or if your child can't communicate, you can say, I don't know. (laughs) I'm trying to think. I don't know your child. So it's hard for me to come up with something, but you can say, I like, you know, maybe I can tell that you are, you know, holding in your feelings and you're, you're really trying hard to not lash out or not to not get aggressive. And I can tell that you're really trying to work on that in your head. Find what it is. I don't know what it's going to be for your children, but I do feel like we want to find that little string. And we always want to start with their strengths. You know, there's that whole approach, like two positives for one negative. You know, they talk about that in couples therapy. They talk about that in parenting. I don't think you have to be as methodical and as calculated as as that necessarily. But I do feel like always starting with something that they're doing right is really important. Even with exposures, you know, starting off when you're like debriefing or you're talking about it, even if it was quote unquote a failure, 
I always say to my kids, there are no failures in exposures. There are no failures in trying to face your fears because just the effort of trying is already a success. And then I go into, you know, there's a lot of people, see, I use that a lot. There's a lot of people out there who do not even try. They do not even approach their fears. Avoidance is their number one thing. Cause I have a YouTube channel. I can say, look at all the comments on my YouTube channel. Look at all these people who are like, you know, adults and they are still struggling because they avoid, 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 avoid. They've never built their muscles and you, you don't, you get back on that horse and you face your fears again and again and again. And yeah, sometimes you're successful and sometimes you aren't, but just facing your fears, that is the success. It's the doing, right? It's not always the outcome. So our job, and we have a limited job, right? Because we can't, we can't take away anxiety or OCD from our kids. We can't do exposures and challenges for them. So our job is limited, but it's still powerful. And our job is not only to build their skills and get our own knowledge, that's number one, is also to be their cheerleader and read the room, right? If they don't want the cheerleading, then I'm not, I'm going to pull back my cheerleading, but I'm going to talk about these in a very, we have to be motivational speakers for our kids and not because it, they make us proud or they make us happy or they're doing anything for us. It's about them and we're empowering them. So that really will build up their resiliency and their ability to move towards their fears over time. So I hope that you found that helpful. I do have online courses that will give you the skills and knowledge to do challenges and do exposures. I have one on crushing anxiety, one on crushing OCD, one on crushing social anxiety, a mini one on moral OCD, but you have to take the bigger one first, preferably because you need those basic skills. I have one on handling sleep related to anxiety or OCD. I have one on difficult behavior related to anxiety and OCD. So, and one on space that is coming soon. So I have you covered. You can access all of those and, and read more about them at atparentingsurvivalschool.com and check that out. So if you've been enjoying the podcast, which I hope that you have, please don't forget to hit a star on iTunes or wherever you consume your podcast where they allow you to hit stars. And if you have a moment, if you can leave a review, I really appreciate that. It helps other parents see that. It also, it's a way to get back to the show. So to show my gratitude and appreciation, I always try to read one of them if there are any new ones. And I want to thank Trans Rights Are Human Rights. They wrote Anxiety SOS. I've been listening and benefiting from Natasha's podcast for a year or so. It's a treasure trove of support, information, and real life tools. Today, I listened to the ARFID episode. And I have to say that my son, 12-year-old ARFID diagnosis, and I would not be on the path we're on without you. Listening to the episode with Dr. Leibowitz and his space approach led me to a space parenting. I appreciate that. And thank you for leaving the review. And I'm glad that I was able to connect the dots and lead you to things. And I, I get that a lot. I get a lot of feedback that I leave breadcrumbs that get you to the right resources and the right people, um, whether they're mine or other people's. And that's the name of the game is getting you to the right stuff to give you the right skills to help your kids. So Well, I hope you've been the sparkle in everything you do. And I'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com. 